Benifer is back. Brad and Jen are friends again. And Paris Hilton is somehow still making headlines. Sound familiar? In the early 2000s, gossip publications were everywhere, powered by tipsters, paparazzi, and publicists. They gave us a window into the lives of the rich and famous, and in the process, helped form a generation's ideas about sex, beauty, race, and power. On this series, I'm going to tell you the story of a decade of American life through the trash we love to consume. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Claire Malone, and this is Just Like Us, the tabloids that change America. This series premieres on February 14th on the Ringer Dish Feed. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, starting at guard, it's James Harden! Weird energy for us today. (laughs) Pretty good stuff. Oh, Andy, it's Thursday. It's like 88 degrees in Los Angeles. I don't know what's going on with this planet, the crust, the core, the zone, what's happening. It's so good to see your face. Day one of us growing extremely long beards and frequenting men's gentlemen clubs in Philadelphia. It's uh, it's a new era. What's going on, man? Audience, give us this. Just let us have a carve out for a second. Uh, We are 76ers fans. There was a big trade today. And Chris, here's my latest thinking. And maybe I've been in Hollywood for too long. But my latest thinking is James Harden takes off the Nets jersey, revealing like an industrial light and magic quality fat suit. And then he takes off the fat suit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was all a bit. He was wearing the Jiminy Glick suit that Martin Short wore. (laughs) <laughs> when he played the, the seminal character Jiminy Glick, and I like now, that. now he's but wait. What's underneath the fat suit? Like, is it like a Mandalorian suit, or is it like, is it like it's it's he's just cut, right? He he's just Diesel, except yes, he is wearing a little Grogu chainmail <laughs> just to defend in the low post. Yeah, uh, Andy. Today on the pod, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Oscar nominations. There's a couple of trailers. There was some interesting news with Disney Plus mm-hmm. uh, and their announcement of how well they did at the end of last year. Um, which I, I think could be chalked up to the repeated viewings of Encanto, but also to the Beatles and also to uh, big some time trickery. Bob Chapek. Yeah, maybe maybe bundling, maybe maybe moving some stuff around. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we've got uh, the finale of Boba Fett to chat about. Can I, can I, I'm raising my hand. Can I, can I just update our listeners on something before we get into it? Sure. I think we should start calling the first 10 minutes of the pod the David Jacoby Corner just in honor of his instructions to get to the content, which sure. we never follow. I just like to um, set the table and then you can mess it up however you want. That's that's how I that's how I perform at restaurants too, I found out. Um, okay, just a couple things from, from the music beat, okay? Um, that corner of the world that we used to cover. One is also an update from my last dispatch from Daddington Island where I was asking about, um, you know, maybe... It doesn't have to be family-friendly rap songs to play, but maybe just ones that aren't going to cause uncomfortable questions you know, later, not, not just later that day, but later in life. Sure. Um, I'll say that one of the things that I didn't consider is that all cars are stupid surface pro tablets now. And so my car has like a big, I'm not, this is not a brag. I, I hate it. I wish my car was a car, um, but it has a screen. Right. And so yeah, this does. morning I was just driving my, uh, just driving my older daughter to school today and we get in the car and we start driving. We were a little late, so I didn't really pay attention. And, she, and I, all of a sudden from the backseat, I hear, there's a song called Diet Coke. 
because the screen was displaying the only thing that I've listened to for the last 72 hours, which is the new Pusha T single, Diet Coke. And at that point, I was faced with a choice. Is it time to introduce my almost nine-year-old daughter into the glories of mid-zero's cocaine rap? Or do I Why say- Why do you keep getting caught with like Diet Coke, rock cocaine flow? Like what's happening? Well, I chose is it, the is other it an one. algorithmic choice? Oh, okay. I, that, that, look, <laughs> it's, it's a subtle distinction. They didn't ask for the name of the De La Soul song. And also I kept the map on the screen. I was in control. This time it was just like, what's Diet Coke about? And I was like, it's about a, a man who made a bad decision in ordering. Do you have a, are yeah. you a soda drinking family? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. Were you raised in one? Yes. Really? Yeah, Chris, to the degree that, and this is, usually I save this for therapy, but this feels like a safe space. For sure. I've recently begun kind of like interrogating the fact that when I was a, a child, if I was ever like in a bad mood or cranky, my parents were like, get him a Coke. <laughs> like he's tired. He's dragging a little bit. Get him a, get him a, a Coca-Cola classic carbonated <laughs> beverage. And your dad was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if only, only if the, uh, the Pinot Noir he was being served was not up to snuff. Yes, that's the right. noise he would make. But, um, but yeah, but I, do you ever game this out? Because I grew up, and I think about it now, I think that I ate my first vegetable around age 17. My body was primarily Cheetos and Coca-Cola prior to that point. And now, if my, child, if my children have like four smart food puffs, I'm like, well, you're done for the week. Really? Well, I'm not, not, it's not that bad, but like, I, there's a part of me that is like trying to shut it down, well, even though they are The thing is now eaters. is that they can do so much with packaging and also like branding where you feel like you're having a Reese's peanut butter cup, but it's actually cacao with like a little Ugh, bit of almond no. dust. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, but that's it's, bad. Yeah, I know it's have, bad, have, but it's Have like, the thing. Right. I agree with you. I grew up, it was, we didn't, we didn't do soda. Um, so I never really liked it. Yeah. until like I was old enough to really drink it in extreme moderation. I really rarely have a Coke any day anymore. And then we were like kind of low on sugar cereal. Yeah. But I feel like I've definitely overcompensated for it by like often just like taking the chewy chips ahoy and absconding with it. And they yeah, just be like, mom, we're out of cookies. You yeah. Know? Be like, where, mom, where's yours? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So yeah, I would have basically like Fort Knox of chewy chips ahoy upstairs but then, like, I didn't really, you know, I, I, I wasn't, like, slurping on Mountain Dew or anything like that. Yeah, so. we weren't, a, uh, we, only child, <laughs> just the royal we. I wasn't allowed to have uh, sugar cereal except the mini boxes, and I don't understand the distinction. Right. Because I, I, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It, it, all that meant was I couldn't eat, like, honeycomb cereal or, like, uh, Fruity Pebbles, but uh -huh. I could just go ham AF on, like, small amounts of Cocoa Krispies and uh, Honey Pops or whatever they were called. Like, the distinctions make no sense. And now, by the way, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, my children are kind of, they figured this out. Like, they figured this out a long time ago, that mom has a remarkably liberal, liberal policy about desserts after, after dinner. Like, you've eaten a good dinner. Like, they've taken to referring it, to it as a, make me a special, special supersonic dessert, mm. which is involves like ice cream, maybe a crumbled piece of cookie and like a, an M&M &M or something like multi-tiered concoctions yeah, that they demand. Sundays on Tuesdays is what we're talking. Every night. And and it's like they, she has a, like an almost a Scandinavian attitude towards this addiction. Like yeah. we're going to control it. And if it's happening here. <laughs> it's the open this, air drug market of desserts. It's, it, it's the Hamsterdam of dessert. Yeah. Meanwhile, mom goes out of town. You know, I'm like, I'm going to throw a sugar cube by your head. Now go right. to bed. Like, I, you don't need this right now. But I go out. They're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to run an errand. I come back an hour later. I'm like, oh, I was. where were you? Yeah, I was no wonder the, now, like, if, you're, if mom goes out of town and they're with you, it's like panic in Needle Park. You've turned off the supply. But what do we eat when mom's out of town? It's like, that's when we have uh, leftover pizza for breakfast, ramen for lunch, burgers for dinner and then it's like where was dad oh he went to the supermarket in little tokyo to buy 19 small bags of like shrimp and sea urchin flavored potato chips that we're going to try <laughs> uh what so was the they, second update you wanted to give me from not they have there both was, sides there was a sugar. music or a uh, themed one you oh wanted to share. just that chris i went to a, a music concert last <laughs> night for the first time in like two years plus 
And our, our old friends in Spoon have mm-hmm. a new record coming out tomorrow, Lucifer on the Sofa. It's great. This version of Spoon, a band I've now been seeing for 26 years, best band they've ever had. Best band Brit and Jim have ever had around them. Phenomenal. But the thing that I, I wanted to confess something to you, we used to go to a lot of concerts. Yeah. A lot of concerts. We have the road miles, you know what I mean? Like our legs, our legs have stood in a lot of rooms over the years. And during the interregnum from attending live events, I, I kind of feel like I spend a little time thinking about what I wanted out of those experiences, but also, and this is this is a humble brag, like I feel like I'm I'm in better physical fitness than I used to be. And that that that's something that I'm proud of. So I was like, I'm going to cut a different figure in a crowd. Mm. Not like James Harden after the fat suit, but just like, I think I'm going to carry a different energy. And that energy is kind of like Boba Fett on the back of a Rancor. No, it is planted. And yet, despite all of my thinking and all of my pre-gaming and all of the, and I hear Bill and the basketball dudes on the podcast talk about this a lot, like all the thinking I put into my body. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's talking a lot about like- As an athlete, that's days. your number one job is just to yeah. think about how to get the most out of your body. And yet, regardless of all of that, I remain- the number one option of swinging screen door for giant dudes to walk past with their beers. Like when they survey the crowd, they're like, what is my best point of entry? Like, how can I get from one side of this crowded room to the other? And they're like, that Through fucking guy. Through him, yeah. <laughs> that guy will fold like a cheap recliner. That, so that was my, that was my note. Through the I'm guy still who smells guy. like shrimp and sea urchin chip. <laughs> yes, yes. How was the okay. show? Oh, the show was great. Yeah. Boy, they really, yeah, it was a great show. Everybody should see them when they're out on the road. Uh, what do you want to start with? You want to start with the Oscars? Yes, let's talk about the Oscars. Big news. Yeah, so the nominations came out this week. It's probably the biggest like cultural news from, from the week. Uh, I was curious how many of the Best Picture nominees you had probably gotten a chance to check out yet. Oh, okay. Well, let's go through them for people at home. Um, there are 10 nominees. People Interesting. who waited for the Thursday show of The Watch to find out what the Oscar nominations are. I think that we are a news gathering source for some. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how many. Um, first of all, let's say weird year for this, but the Academy mandated 10 nominees this year, right? Mm-hmm. There have been years where they were like up Did to 10. Did you just have to cross like a certain threshold to be nominated? Yeah. But and this year they were like, 10. though there were maybe five good movies this year, here are 10 nominees. Okay. Right. So the nominees are, and let's go through them, see who's seen what. Belfast, I have not seen it. Saw that. Coda, I have not seen it. Haven't seen it. Don't Look Up, not seen it. Saw that. Drive My Car, you're fucking right, I've seen it. In a theater, too. In a theater, and would do it again. Dune, have seen saw, it. Yeah. King Richard, saw it. You? Uh, I have not seen King Richard. Oh, King Richard's great. Um, Licorice Pizza, seen it. <laughs> Chris, Chris has seen I've it. seen it as well, yeah. Nightmare Alley, a movie that I... For some reason, announced Thought on this was podcast coming out in March yeah. was not being released until March. <laughs> Finger on the pulse, Greenwald. I knew you were wrong in the moment, but I also mm-hmm. thought it was just. An, I thought you were maybe speaking more like metaphorically. Like I often everybody am. knows this Thank won't you. be out until March, and it's on HBO Max in early February. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not on Hulu too. Um, Power of the Dog, seen it. Me too. West Side Story, seen it. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Not, I've, not seen over, I've seen 60% of the movies. That's pretty yeah. good for me. How, how about you? So there's two you haven't seen? I haven't seen West Side Story, and I haven't seen Coda. And I haven't seen Nightmare Alley. Have you seen Drive My Car? I have not seen Drive My Car, so that's four. So you've, we've seen the same amount of movies. Look at us. Yeah. Look at us. Okay. Um, so where to begin? I think Well, that- I thought, like, I, you know, I, I don't want to steal his his bit because Sean has been kind of talking about this all week, but I thought it would be interesting just to get your thoughts on this is that Sean is kind of mm-hmm. Sean fantasy, the host of the big picture. Uh, and he's done a you know, did show on Mon- on Tuesday morning when the nominations came out, he did a green room. He's talked about this. I went on Sean's show this week and talked a little mm-hmm. bit about an episode that's coming out later, but Sean had a really cool point about, it seems like the Oscars have just kind of settled in on being a referendum on what the best movies of the year are, you know, and that they're not going to try and bend over backwards to, uh, include stuff that's just massively popular for the sake of the broadcast and the sake of the ceremony. Yep. They're not going to be waylaid by like other stuff. It's like, here are the best 10 movies that came out this year. I think this is a very specific year because like you said, maybe a lot of movies didn't make it to theaters that we thought would make it to theaters. Perhaps if we had had a completely normal theatrical experience this year, mm-hmm. Dune would have been even bigger. 
perhaps Nightmare Alley would have been even bigger if it wasn't released basically into Omicron. Like there's all sorts of like what ifs that go along with this. But I thought Sean's overall point is not necessarily that the Oscars are giving up. And I, I, and I, is, is, it's just that they have kind of decided this is what we are. Yep. And this is what we do. And maybe far less people care now than cared 10, 20 years ago. But this is kind of like the final version of the Oscars, at least as we know them. I love Sean's perspective on this. And I would add to the conversation, um, Richard Rushfeld, who has his newsletter, The Ankler. I've, I've, I feel like we should, I, I want to start saying the things we reference. Oh, you're going to start sourcing? That's good. Well, uh, why start now? Uh, let me, hold on. Let me just find the article that says Nightmare Alley is coming out in March. I'll be right back. <laughs> And podcast ends. I'll just, um, me and Kaya can talk about Santa Cruz traffic for a while. You just, you just take care of the rest of the show without me. Um, also, Joe Adalian over at uh, New York Magazine in his buffering newsletter um, brought up similar issues, which is that it seems like the Oscars were at an inflection point as to which cultural encroachment they dislike more. Were they going to continue to hold their nose up at streaming and defend the theatrical experience. And when I say that, there has been a lot of chatter in recent years that while Netflix and Amazon and now Apple have become major players in the original feature film department, they struggled to break through fully in recognition at the Oscars. And a lot of people attributed that to the fact that the Oscar, the Academy is made up of people who believe in the traditional theatrical experience or who have mm-hmm. benefited from it. And so they were trying to hold off that uh, flank for as long as possible. But the other option, if they do that, would be to wholeheartedly in, in embrace what the theatrical experience has come to mean, which is an enti- almost entirely populist genre and franchise-driven business. And that, I think, ultimately, as we've seen this year, proved to be a, a step too far. And so we have a majority of the Best Picture nominees were either available immediately on streaming, very quickly on streaming, or... Um, you know, in or, the case or of Drive- in, in the case of Nightmare Alley, will be released in March. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, again, after very avant garde, yeah, right. <laughs> long after the Oscars have ended, which again is a non traditional strategy. I was going to say, or like Drive My Car, which is a shock nominee for everyone, and I'm thrilled about it. But that is, you know, very tough to find. Sure. So to source, as is uh, worst person in the world, the which is a movie right. that I loved that got nominated for uh, foreign film and screenplay. So what we don't have this year and I think this is probably the right place to begin, is Spider-Man wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And I, all I have to say is you cowards. Honestly, oh, I was cowards. wondering where you came down on this because this has become now the like, will Hollywood, will the Academy live to regret this? Now, there is not like a cabal of people who are like, these are the 10 movies. We need to make sure that we have Zendaya no, on exactly. stage. Like these things get voted on. These things will be voted on for the winners. So the people who make movies decided who they wanted to nominate for Best Picture and Spider-Man wasn't one of them. I do think that in this group of movies, personally, I mean, if you're going to have X, I would just as soon have Spider-Man. I, but like, I, I haven't seen all 10, but I liked Belfast fine. I had a much better time watching Spider-Man. You know, like I, I think... I, I think Spider-Man is an absolutely titanic achievement on its own terms. Mm-hmm. And I think that what would be challenging to a lot of people's sensibilities would be a grab bag of Oscar Best Picture nominees that truly reflect the breadth of what movies mean today. Sure. Um, which could have included in one direction Spider-Man, but also in another direction, like the latest Sean Baker film, Red Rocket, right? Which is, which I don't even think, like it's the star Simon Rex has been telling in press, like in the press that he didn't even tell his agency. He was just going to Texas for two weeks to shoot a right. movie and then was suddenly potentially in the Oscar mix. Um the Oscars seems to have decided, and again, we're always talking collectively. We're talking about it as if it's a singularity, and it's not. It's a bunch of people with, with their own opinions and agendas. But they've decided to nominate a group of apples for the for Best Picture, when it could have been apples, oranges, and maybe some olives. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that kind of would have been, I think that really would have been interesting. Now, how do you decide between um, Drive My Car and Spider-Man No Way Home? I don't know, but I'm here to say those were the two best movie experiences I had in 2021. I, I saw them in the same week and I adored them both. I was thrilled during both. And I, I do think it's a shame, you know, that there, that I'm not saying there needs to be a slot for a fanboy or fangirl film. Well, that was, like isn't I, that dude? It, like a sop. Is that, so then, is that, so then we pivot back to that. And I, and, and so I'm of two minds about it. Dune was awesome. Dune is an, a, a cinematic achievement. Dune deserves to be nominated, but it also is in keeping with, 
and I'm surprised that this is still the way the Oscars is operating, that this many years into what movies are, they're still the like, hold our nose, this is a little prestige and so we'll accept it, like, like, the, like the Dark Knight was. You know what I mean? Like this one passes muster by us. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I, I don't know if any of this matters. I don't think. I don't necessarily think nominating Spider-Man is going to suddenly drop the median viewer of the Oscars down below the age of sixty-three. But um, I do think it's a bummer because this is supposed to be the 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 organization that represents the entire medium, mm-hmm. and I think they are choosing to. I don't know if they're going to die on a hill, but they've chosen their hill, and it is a very, very, very um, specific one. In the words of some other columnist I was reading, I mean, it's like the Oscars now exist to honor the local critics' guilds' picks. Like, they just mirror that. They And, and is, that an, in, is that an indictment of the Academy, or is that an indictment of the fact that we don't have a monoculture anymore, certainly not even at the cinema, and so we can't... We There are no other barometers that are trustworthy. Sometimes I wonder whether one of the issues with the Oscars is... Also, one of the issues I sometimes have with sports now, which is that, and at the end of the day, like there's still two sides have to compete in a sporting event and you, you get a winner and a loser. And there's something that is free of all analysis and narrative and statistics there. But I will sometimes, you know, go into a sporting event. And then if I read enough about it and I read Twitter along with it while I'm watching, or if I just kind of like look at certain um, statistical indicators, you're just like, oh yeah, it looks like this team's turning the ball over way too much and this team makes three-pointers on fat, like transition or whatever, you know? We, when we were young, I, I think that the Oscars felt like a competition. Mm-hmm. And I think that that competition took place during what was basically a party. It was like Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep were there mm-hmm. and like, you know, Tom Hanks was there and we would, it would just be like this, each year was this kind of celebration of the industry, but there was also a genuine kind of like, oh, I wonder if Titanic will win everything or if Dances with Wolves will win everything. And there were upsets and there were disappointments and there were sweeps or whatever. But as we've grown older and as people get more and more interested in culture as like something that they follow on an hour to hour basis, there's all these guilds award, guild awards. There are all these, there was the Globes, but, you know, there's Independent Spirit, and then there's the Critics' Choice, and there's, like, enough stuff going on where, like, once we get into Oscar night, I think we're going to pretty much know Power of the Dog is going to win everything. You know what I mean? Like, I think think that while there are some upsets sometimes, I wonder whether award season has gotten so big, and the Oscars have, to some extent, gotten somewhat uh, solvable, that we kind of don't go into the uh, the night. It's like you don't go into the night with the anticipation that you usually do for something that is essentially a competition. I think the comp- competition angle is interesting. Although that um, that being said, there's Moonlight and La La Land. There's 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 upsets. There's surprises. There. So I I, I understand that there are exceptions to the rule that I'm proposing. And I think that the nominees, especially once you get down into the specific categories this year, um, really lack an easy narrative to fold them into. Um, it isn't in the way past years have been where like a vote for X means you are retro, like a green book thing, you know, where it's just like, well, this is a political statement or this is a backwards looking statement versus the new hope of whatever. Or like, you know, back when we were younger, the year 94 was Pulp Fiction versus Forrest Gump. To look at the the specific like performers, there's just a lot of phenomenal performers here. You know what I mean? When I look at Best Actor and it's Javier Bardem and Benedict Cumberbatch and Andrew Garfield and Will Smith and Denzel. I'm like, yeah, that those. I don't see a competition there. I just see mm-hmm. greatness. Um, I'll also say that with the absence of the Golden Globes this year's Oscar as a credible televised event, there doesn't seem to there. There certainly doesn't feel like the momentum of the season, which maybe is good or maybe is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was that thing where you would see Gary Oldman make a version, like practice his speech for six weeks because he was going to win. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like we have that this year. Again, your mileage may vary on whether that's that's good or bad. But in the absence of the Golden Globes, one thing that I, I was noticing is the fact that the Oscars are, in many ways, just as vulnerable to politicking and very much about politicking as anything else. But we've kept them kind of clean because the Golden Globes sucked up a lot of the, this is all you know, bribery and gamesmanship because it literally seemed like it was bribery and gamesmanship. But today, for example, on, on Voltra, I was reading Nate Jones, who is there. Look at me sourcing. This is this is great. I am a Wikipedia article now. He's their uh, Oscar columnist. And 
he was saying, why wasn't X nominated or why wasn't Y nominated? And almost to a T, the answers are because they didn't participate mm-hmm. or it was a different corporate preference. So specifically, um, Come On, Come On, a movie that, an Oscar movie that I watched in anticipation of it being an and Oscar wannabe an movie. A24, like Apple movie, right? Um, or was yeah, it just A24? So. Yeah. It, uh, Mike Mills, um, mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix, definitely presented as potential Oscar bait was, you know, I got screeners for it, et cetera, et cetera. I watched it because I thought it would be in the conversation. Apparently Joaquin didn't want to play. He just didn't want to do it again. He did it and he won for Joker. So why would he do it again? Other than, I guess, to help out Mike Mills in the movie, but he declined. Yeah. So he wasn't in the conversation and he didn't get nominated. Similarly, people were looking at the success Netflix has had this year. I mean, I don't, I didn't expect Andrew Garfield to get a nomination for Tick, Tick, Boom, which I have not yet seen, um, or The Lost Daughter to get all that love with Olivia Coleman and, and Jesse Buckley getting nominated. But then others were like, well, where's Passing? Another movie that Netflix championed this year um, got a well, lot of And that got uh, adapted screenplay, right? I believe so. But like Ruth Negga wasn't nominated. Rebecca mm-hmm. Hall wasn't nominated. I, I guess she was for adapted potentially, but I but not for director. Um and according to this vulture piece, it's like, well, whether it was written out in a document or not, Netflix had an order in which they were promoting their movies yeah. and passing was five out of five. And right. so it was power the of the it, dog and, and don't look up. We're going to be the ones that they pushed yep. hard and tick, tick, boom, come, you know, coming on strong at, at the end. Um, passing did not get nominated. It looks like at all. Oh. Um, but I, but I will say, uh, lost daughter did in the adapted category. I, but I, I guess I'll say, for all of this talk of cynicism in it, I drive my car. That is, I, it's not just because I think this is one of the best movies of the last few years um, or that the just the emergence of um, Ryusuke Hamaguchi as a filmmaker is just thrilling. That's not supposed to get nominated. That's going to win best foreign film and everybody knows it, right? But not only did it get one of the 10 slots, he got nominated for best director. I know. I mean, 10 oh, movies, over only Denis five directors. Yeah, I know. It's wild and it's awesome like that's cool to me that the oscars can still pull that out now that's not getting um marvel fanboys to tune into the ceremony but it's getting your boy it's getting your criterion fanboys pumped up do you think that the we we can wrap this up but i have one more question for you do you think that the relative lack of success of a lot of these movies so for instance a west side story you know a nightmare alley the two films one by guillermo del toro starring bradley cooper Mm -hmm. that was coming out and like you would think that like would be a big, big end of year movie. And West Side Story, which is a beloved musical directed by Steven Spielberg, featuring several young cast members who have mm-hmm. quite a bit of social media footprint so that like it crosses generations. And both of those films drastically underperformed at the box office. Yep. Had they been 60, 70 million, 80 million, climbing towards $100 million in box office, had they been hits in a normal year where they were maybe... The, the thing that people went and saw twice over Christmas or something. Do you think that there would be more narrative jousting about what deserves to win and whether it's this team? Like, I find that like this year, there seems to be a complete absence of it's this person's time or we can't look backwards and reward West Side Story. It's like all of it is just like, I guess Power of the Dog is probably going to win everything. Maybe we'll have some surprises. Nobody understands anything. Everybody is like Kevin Bacon in the classic film Tremors, just like kind of looking <laughs> portentously off in the distance. Like no one understands. To your point, Encanto, an amazing movie that I think should have been nominated for Best Picture, this, the narrative was immediately when it came out that it underperformed. And then uh, then it went to Disney Plus a month later. And then the soundtrack went to number one. And then We Don't Talk About Bruno became the biggest song of the year, as it deserves to be. And I guess... You know, now with the, we're going to talk about this, but like the Disney subscriber numbers and the stock yeah. share, the shareholder stuff, they're like, oh, because Encanto was so huge for them. Oh, okay. Was it? That's great. I, it deserves it. But we nobody knows. And similarly, yeah. if West Side Story had hit Apple um, at Thanksgiving, would we all be thinking about it differently? If people who had been able to watch it with their families at a time when maybe a lot of people didn't really want to bring their elderly families or aging families out to the multiplex, would it would it change the conversation? And I think the only answer is yes, it would, but we don't know. Yeah. I, I, I guess at the end of it, I'm glad West Side Story got nominated because as a filmmaking achievement, it is very deserving. And when you watch it, let's talk about it a little bit more. But like, like In the Heights, it's insane that In the Heights dis- 
just is forgotten because I think the narrative is that it was a failure. In yeah, that, it was fantastic. I saw this, and we can get into the Chapek stuff and the Disney Plus stuff because I think though, like, what is a success anymore mm-hmm. is is very much in the air right now. Um, but there was a really cool interview, as, as almost every interview with Steven Soberg is pretty good. Uh, this was a Q&A on Daily Beast. And it was about Kimmy, the movie that he has coming out uh, this week with uh, Zoe Kravitz. Um, just kind of like a techno thriller. It's only 80 minutes long. It's his uh, second movie for Max, and then like his fourth or fifth streamer that he's made since, because he made a couple of those Netflix movies like Laundromat, uh, so this is his third for HBO Max because Let Them All Talk was also HBO Max. And then High Flying Bird was Netflix. Yeah, and so is the the laundromat. So mm-hmm. uh he's an old hand at this by by this point. He made Kimmy. He's already probably in production on two or three other movies. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, you know, what the feedback basically is on these movies. And he was like, Well, I go to HBO Max and I ask them if they're happy with it and they're happy with how it did, and they say yes. And then he keeps yeah. making them. And, you know, I'm sure that Steven Soderbergh makes incredibly efficient cost-wise movies. And he continually gets big names like Zoe Kravitz or Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, all these people for No Sudden Move. You know, it's like they can sell these movies off the backs of of the star power. And then the films themselves, I think, have a real shelf life, at least for me. I find that the Soderbergh movies actually, like, are really great to return to. And because they're kind of a little bit on the slider side uh running time wise you can jump in and out of them pretty easily but it is interesting that a guy who's been in the industry for this long who was part of that sundance crew that came out in the early 90s with sex lies and videotape has been at the top of the mountain winning oscars has made box office smashes like oceans 11 is now at this point in his career where a couple of people at a streamer are like yeah good job and that's the level of data he's getting from a company that I'm sure knows exactly how many people started and finished his movies. But what are we being told and what are we being, what, what's our understanding of when something is successful and when something is actually tipping the needle for, for, for one of these services? And what's the goal? And who does it serve? I right. mean, it, it's, I think at some level it's worth a little moment of pause and reflection because we still reach for box office metrics as some evidence of of not just success, but really of connection. Like, are people engaging with this? Is it landing? Do people like it or whatever? Really what we're doing is celebrating capitalism and, you know, the financial windfall and profit sharing of those involved. That's what we're talking about. And it's sort of cute that we've made that kind of an okay arbiter of art. But now that it has become so absolutely siloed and opaque, which is what contemporary corporate culture is. Sure. Now we're suddenly like, well, we don't know. And what does that mean? Because, you know, whether it's like in Kanto, I think is an artistic success. Bob Chapek now thinks it may have saved his job. <laughs> but it is not based on the box office numbers that we saw. It's based on whatever internal goosing that seemed to have provided to a the subscription base to show growth to impatient shareholders, which is just such a bizarre thing to be to be parsing, you know. And and maybe I'm maybe I'm still head in the clouds, but like maybe maybe we could get past this and get to a place where stuff that's good is good. Um, I, I just, but I the, I think the that. reason why we always go back to this stuff is that all of these decisions subtly inform. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you and I are fans of storytelling and we wind up going back to the weather. We're passionate shows. about storytelling. We just love it. And like, uh, this is where storytelling matters. That's the new logline for the watch. And I think that we go back to it. We, we care about this kind of behind the scenes stuff or this corporate level stuff because it winds up ultimately informing the kinds of things that we're going to get to see. And we want to see shows or movies that we like or directors or writers that we like get to make more stuff or get more resources to make stuff. It's been such a fascinating thing to watch. So, for instance, like, Chapek's kind of like, I think what happened with Disney Plus is, at for me, for just a normal mm-hmm. uh, childless man, um, it's like, okay, there's like five to seven things on Disney Plus that feel like events, whether it's mm-hmm. the Star Wars stuff, the Marvel stuff, Hamilton, whatever, that feel like really significant. And I bet, and 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 no more so than Get Back this year, about this past mm-hmm. year, where I was like, holy shit, I'm just hanging out on, on Disney Plus for nine hours right now. And then you get to 
I, I just don't find myself like searching around their library. You know, I don't look to see like recommended if you like. Like, I feel like I go there for a very specific thing and then I leave. Then there are services where I'm interested to see what algorithmically HBO Max recommends to me from their ever-expanding library of movies and shows. They just added all of ER. You know what I mean? Like, I'm interested to see what these different services think I want to watch at any given time. That also winds up informing whether or not Reacher goes up as a block of episodes or whether or not you get this new season of Mrs. Maisel that's going to be a a weekly release, which they negotiated to get. Which breaks from the way the first three seasons have Which breaks from the way... And I'll be honest, the last couple of seasons of Maisel were difficult for me to get through because it was like, now you have 10 hours of Maisel to get through. It's too much banter. And it's right right there. And also, as Amy Sherman Palladino has pointed out this week, she just felt like it disappeared from the conversation almost immediately. You know, and she was just like, we work too hard on the show and we think it could be like a succession kind of like conversation driver. <laughs> the conversation of... Why are all these goys pretending to be Jews? Is that the conversation she wants to like dominate for the next? You're not couple ready months? for that conversation. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, Amy. Um, yeah, I think. Well, I just wanted to put a pin on one thing. When we, when we, maybe as the Oscars get closer, we can revisit some of the movies or our favorites or predictions. Because I did just want to say, because I don't think it's come up on the podcast, King Richard is phenomenal, and I think Will Smith should win the Oscar. And I just feel like it is such the degree of difficulty in pulling off an old-fashioned movie like that and making it feel good and real is a very high bar to clear, much like doing Dune is a high bar to clear. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, so I, I just think that's kind of, I, I I would keep an eye on that movie. It's very good. And I think that it will make noise. Um, even though it was kind of a failure or whatever. It will was. Smith, it was he's, on got HBO it, Max. he's got it all ahead of him. That kid, he's, you know, we got to represent for our locals. To your point, you know, this conversation goes into what was going on with, with, with Disney where people were, the, the street, not, not not Sunset and Gower or whatever, but like this, you know, the Wall Street was anticipating a weak earnings report or subscriber report for the latest quarter because Netflix had just gone through this where they added relatively few subscribers and there was a stock response. Disney surprised everyone mm-hmm. and is now approaching 130 million paying subscriptions, half of which are in this country. And I think they went and, up 37% from 2020 to 2021. And, you know, you dive into the numbers, as you and I love to do. Uh, no, we like to have other people like Joe Adalian and others do it for us. They did a little trickery, which is not a problem. But basically, like, they have, Disney also has Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, something they don't own outright, but will own outright in 2024 when Universal has to, like, sell back to Disney the rest of its participation in it. Um, and they have ESPN. And so they've started giving Disney Plus away for free to those who subscribe to their other services um, to make it seem like those numbers are, are going up, which I guess technically they are. Um, so, that, but the flip side of that goes right to, or not the flip side, the next point in that thread is what you were speaking to, which is Disney right now as an app and as a service makes a lot of sense in that it is incredibly clean and you understand what it is. It has, and one of the reasons why it succeeded so immediately was that it was just so imagineered, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like there's the Star Wars button, there's the Pixar button. And like, if you like these five flavors that all taste pretty good together, you're going to get it. And if you have kids, you're definitely going to get it. But increasingly, it's starting to look a little, it's, it's almost like a little too cute and siloed off the way Apple products used to be in the 90s, where it's like, it was perfect, but you couldn't play any games on it or do the programs right. that people actually, so p- people would buy PCs because they were like, they want to play whatever, uh, Doom. And they wanted to have um, some control. They wanted to tweak it. Yeah. And they wanted to tweak it. And, and right. And that's not possible. And um, the sheer volume business is why HBO Max is suddenly looking like a really good bet because they have so much of everything all the time in a lot of different directions or Netflix's reality thing. So it'll be interesting to watch Disney, which is just, you know, its brand is total control, Mm -hmm. Um, much like Apple, which honestly is why that always seemed like a pretty logical, you know, not that I'm rooting for the two biggest companies to merge, but that kind of made sense. What they will do. The rest of the world, from what I understand, I'm I'm, I'm very worldly. Um, There's another button called Star, which has like all the Hulu content yes. um, and other more adult fare. They can't put a Hulu button on Disney 
police in America right now because it also because of the ownership thing. Right. But probably they will. I feel like they'll have to. I feel like inevitably ESPN and Hulu just become part of the Disney app. How could they not? It's a question about of of whether or not Disney will ever and under JPEG loosen up their sort of uh, brand identity and whether or not like, you know, I think there was some rumors about JPEG was going to make a bid for NFL Sunday ticket. JPEG seemed like a loose guy to you. And that like a chill, opening chill the doors to gambling, opening the doors basically to the realities of the modern world, but that Disney mm-hmm. had sort of ignored for a while because it was just like, this is where you come to get family friendly stuff and you're not going to turn this on. And then all of a sudden, normal people is going to start playing. You know, it's going to always be like one of these seven things that you can trust your children up to the age of yeah, 14 which, to watch. Which is a legitimate concern as someone who nearly played a Pusha T song for his child <laughs> today. So look, that the struggle is is really, really real. Yeah. Um, what but if Bob Chapek could just ride, ride around with you and make sure you're playing appropriate rap for your children? I, I feel like he wouldn't be the coolest, like, hang. You know, he yeah. seems a little buttoned up, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe... You know, I feel like, you know what he, I feel like he likes no malice. He likes, he likes what Push's brother has become now that he's That's right. become a born again Christian. Like but your question rap. is interesting because it's like and, in three years when they can bring Hulu stuff over and theoretically FX stuff over, whatever else, what's, what are they going to change what Hulu and FX do when they bring it over to Disney? Is Pam and Tommy coming to that app? Right. But, or is but, it going to be like back to the days of like, it's, this is Touchstone and it's like, there, there's yes. like something that's like slightly more adult, adult fare that you have to like sign into a different part of the Disney Plus app to see or something. Part of the news this week was that certain properties that pass muster, like the Wonder Years, both versions yeah. are going are migrating since and they're I think owned Black-ish by the studio, too, right? Potentially, yeah. These these things are migrating on the platform to give people more reason to be there. I think that makes sense. But it's an interesting friction point, and one that harkens back to the Soderbergh interview you're mentioning, where it wasn't the big takeaway where he was like, "Marvel superheroes don't fuck." Yes, like yeah. cool. <laughs> and then James James Gunn was like, "I assure you, sir." Oh god, they fuck. <laughs> That's so exhausting. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan, with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages. Then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. It's actually a pretty good transition segue. That's, those words mean the same thing. 
that's why you're better at these than I am, to talk about um, the Boba Fett episode because yeah. it's kind of what we're talking about in that the majority of the episode is like a bunch of stragglers get together to go pew pew to like save the beating good heart of yeah. a misunderstood town and there's like the Powerpuff gang on their light cycles. But just before the episode ends, Ming-Na Wen's character sneaks into a bunker and just slaughters seven dudes. Like, including stringing up the mayor with some sort of uh, rope. We don't see it. Yeah. And then shiving the main bad guy in the back. But it's all very bloodless except for a little green goo. But it is that weird thing where I'm like, I, they want to tell a certain kind of yeah, story. Yeah, if you've ever seen a Robert Rodriguez movie, you know probably what that looked like in his head, at least. Yes. Although, because being a, what do you call yourself? A cool, normal, childless man? <laughs> is, that, is that you? Um it, the most Robert Rodriguez's movies recently have been like there's a movie on Netflix called We're No Heroes. Oh yeah, it is part of the larger Spy Kids universe. I forgot about that. that. The children. I was referring children, more Chris, to they like love, they love those movies. El Mariachi era, I guess, or like you know Grindhouse Rodriguez. It's interesting to to understand where the Favreau Filoni verse is going and why it appeals to Rodriguez. This this We're No Heroes movie is worth checking out because it's like a bunch of perfectly good kid actors lead. And then he gathers people like the most. This movie has Boyd Holbrook, Christian Slater, Priyanka Chopra, a bunch of other people of significant celebrity or just bizarre backstory. And clearly they just like he bought them a round trip ticket to Austin for a week to stand in front of a green screen and be and look at something on a monitor and be like, that's my kid. He is a hero. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. You know, but it, it's a very successful model. And and that's that's what he does. Anyway. So yeah. What so were episode. your general thoughts on the Boba finale? My general thoughts were, do we, does anyone want my thoughts on this finale? That's fair enough. That's I, fair enough. It, you know, there was, my, my, my truest self was, the only note I took in watching it was, there's a moment when they're like, oh, why did, uh, why did you, the people of Freetown, come after all? <laughs> and the one guy is like, uh, the people of this world deserve better. And then right at that moment, we see the, the the Powerpuff Gang show up. And I was like, brother, preach. The people <laughs> of this world do deserve better. But, you know, the episode the episode of The Mandalorian that was in this episode, which, by the way, it's all the same show. I mean, I don't know why we're pretending otherwise. This was season three. And then they're filming season four. They just wanted to do something different. But whatever. Um, the episode of The Mandalorian that was in here was was fun because mm-hmm. it, it advanced the interests of the characters we're invested in. And it had him hugging the baby. So that was good. Yeah. I like that. I like that. That's um, my take. I would say that Grogu doesn't really talk, right? Mm-hmm. And yet somehow conveys all of this charisma, is adored mm-hmm. by people who don't even know like how this works. Why is there another Yoda? All this stuff. Like my wife thinks he's adorable. Like people love this, love this little guy. And I couldn't, help but wonder, I don't know why I sound like Carrie Bradshaw, I couldn't <laughs> help but notice that this is exactly like the kind of uh, character variance maybe I'm looking for. Like, I was just thinking a lot about those opening scenes of this this finale where it's like, Ming-Na Wen, really great actress. You know, like, possibly Pedro Pascal, who can say, is in the mix. You know, I, I, you know what? I'm done with the fiction. He, t- t- he wasn't even told what this was for when he Morrison's was in the there, booth. and it's like, these are, these are, interesting actors, you know, and they are forced to deliver the most like wooden expository, but like very stiff as a board. Like I, and, and maybe it's like a matter of like, you know, like Ming-Na Wen and like, you know, like they didn't know that they were making Boba until like a certain point in like the shooting. And then it was like, mm-hmm. like they didn't know what they were shooting really for a while. And so maybe there's a little bit of mystery about like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we, what, what is this, what is the story that we're actually telling? But I just don't know why an inanimate puppet has the most charisma of all these characters when like, I, I, like, I'm not trying to be like the, my version of Star Wars was the best. I'm just saying like, you don't have to be Han Solo. You don't have to be Harrison Ford in 1977, but like you could, you could try, you could have like, that's, I guess that's what Oliphant was supposed to be, but Oliphant's in like three scenes. He's coming back. Yeah. Uh, I, 
I think the answer is pretty simple. I don't think pulling it off is simple. I want to be clear about that. I think this is an enormously challenging thing for anyone to do because just the, the sheer number of stakeholders on all sides of the screen and of the ball, like there's just so many people who want different things from this. It's almost impossible. It would tie you up in knots. But Baby Yoda is new-ish mm-hmm. and emotional-ish. And I think that's pretty much what it what it comes down to. I, I think that there was, a, for me, the fundamental misread of Boba Fett as both a character and as a, um, a, a, a 2021, 2022 project was that I actually didn't need to know what happened to him after he got eaten by a monster. What I never got was him. Mm-hmm. All anyone ever wanted from Boba Fett was to see the cool space bounty hunter with the armor flying around just collecting bounties, doing cool shit. Like yeah. everyone got excited and built a backstory out of a, out of a armor and out of an action figure. The modern storytelling um, machinery suggests, well, now we need to learn his traumatic backstory, which I guess Lucas gave us a little bit of in the prequels. And then now we need to learn his journey towards redemption. Um they're not wrong to say like there's a lot of fun things to play with in terms of like the old west and a redemption story about a criminal turned sheriff and and the the parts of the episode that sang for me that were kind of fun was i think in some ways the best case scenario for this stuff where it's like yeah this is a high noon western but it's also godzilla mm-hmm. at the same time and that's fun you, because if you're all if it's all within one world then you can just start smashing the genres together or as they smash buildings and that's kind of or smashing show, shows together <laughs> Yeah, why not? Like, there yeah. are no rules in a way that does feel kind of exciting uh, and fun, even for people who are naturally cynical about it. But um, at a certain point, a lot of this stuff, and that's the way, you know, we all, we, yes, this is us being the complaint. It just, anytime we talk about Star Wars, it happens, but anytime they seem to make Star Wars, it happens. It just bends itself into the shape that it's always been. Whether it's well, this is all about oh, this is all about Skywalker's, or this is all about telling you the end of a story that was suggested to answer a question that was asked, without taking the moment to be like, is this the right question? Yeah, right. What's right. what's compelling about this question? So, again, we find ourselves, you know, kind of, you know, kind of raining on the parade, which feels a little uncomfortable and not so fun because if you liked, you know. If you like speeders and and you know laser guns and all this and rancors and all this stuff that we used to play with as action figures, for the last few weeks there's been there. an hour. Yeah. There's it's all there. Yeah, and it's lovingly done. I mean, the fact that they still have that soundboard. I mean, we've talked about this every time, but the sound design of these shows are for me like at least forty percent of the reason why I still find them compelling because no other franchises made sounds like that. Or had aliens look like that, like like stiff people wearing masks that don't quite work. Yeah, but. I think that the, the mask is is my thing. I think that there was a moment in the uh, whenever I guess it was season two of Mandalorian when um, Fennec shows up, when Ming Na Wen's character shows up, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it feels like that's a gear change. That's like there's some contrast. This character is interesting. This character is expressive. This character, while an assassin, is like kind of got a little bit of story. And then she was just another person wearing a helmet standing straight up and talking about the pike and the spice and the free... It just felt very like we're trapped by the lore of this place and by like very, very cumbersome exposition. I I was going to ask, just sort of to wrap, put a bow on all this, is if you felt more or less enthused for Obi-Wan, which is the next Star Wars show, uh, Uh, after the sort of the Boba Fett experience. I did just want to make one other note, which is I do appreciate the show reminding me that while I am, as evidenced by my treatment at rock concerts, I'm not really suited for a firefight of any kind. Sure. But if I, I have learned that the way to survive, no matter what the odds, is just tell the people around you to cover you, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that? Like, yes. that is just, you just say that to someone, and they're like, oh, Cover cool, why didn't, I, yeah. why didn't I think of that before yeah. to keep you from getting shot? Like, that would have that would have saved time. Um, you know what that reminds me of? I, I'm going to answer your question. Do you remember the show Quantum Leap? Yeah, but I never watched it. So they're rebooting it, which has long been rumored, but this was a show that was on when we were kids, and it was a, every episode was different because Scott Bakula, in the future, right, was sent back in time to help right wrongs or whatever. And he he leaps into people's bodies for a particularly like intense moment. And the only person he can talk to is Dean Stockwell, which by the way, I want him in my car listening sure. to, to, to Diet Coke. <laughs> um, 
and then you would, but you know, the hijinks would be like, he'd leap into someone's body and they'd be like, uh, doctor, make the incision. And he'd be like, what? And then the episode would start. Right. You know, and there's one famous one I remember where he leaps into the body of someone like pitching a no hitter in the World Series. And I spent time as a child gaming this out when I started quantum leaping, like what I would do. And this is, this feels very vulnerable to admit this to you. But my strategy, if I leapt into the body of like Dennis Eckersley as he's about to win the World Series, was I was immediately going to fake an injury. Like right. I would immediately like just blow out my ACL and crumple to the turf and be like, I was going to win, but I am now Scott Bakula. <laughs> I would not try to be the hero. Okay. Okay. Anyway, we could talk your quantum leaping strategies in a future episode. Um, to answer your question about Obi-Wan, I have very little optimism, which is oh, okay. which is shocking considering this is a Ewan McGregor television show playing a character who in both incarnations I think is the coolest. This is what this experience has done to me where it, when it was announced, I was excited, almost like restorative justice because Obi-Wan as a knight should have been the coolest thing in the prequels, but he was sidelined by everyone and then was tax collector at the beginning and was just kind of anguished at the end. So I was into it. And then they announced that Hayden Christensen's coming back. And again, justice for Hayden, I'm sure he's a nice guy. That seems cool. But that was the problem with the movies. Right. So it seems like they are once again trying to do the thing that not just Star Wars, that all the Disney properties and Marvel does too, where it's just like, we know you love sandwiches. Have you ever tried a sandwich with a pizza in it? Like, we're going to do all of it with the things that you like. <laughs> I, I, it, it makes me worried. Yeah, I'll be fascinated to see what the end product is given the behind the scenes, not turmoil, but like they essentially like got, like threw away the scripts that I think they had yeah, when they everybody decided they were going to do this show. And while I, I really like Deborah Chow as a director, so I'll be really curious to see what it's like mm -hmm. to watch a, a full season of TV from her. But I agree with you. It's tough to, it's tough to go into it with like, maybe actually in some ways, lowered expectations are healthy. You know, and you go into Obi-Wan and be like, oh, wow, it's so much better than I thought that were, or it's so much better than Boba Fett. I certainly don't want to belabor like beating the dead Star Wars horse. You know what I mean? No, like, it's I, just... th that's why I think that people should know if they, they could guess that I think the one that we're checking for is Andor mm -hmm. for three reasons. One, Tony Gilroy. Okay, yep. four reasons. Because two, Tony Gilroy again. Uh, three, Diego Luna. But four... This is what we're talking about in that they are finally building one of their shows around a character who, I mean, he's not Han Solo, but he's a little bit of a roguish ne'er-do-well who also doesn't wear a metal face mask. Right. So potentially there's a character to enjoy and laugh with and cheer for on the margins and not someone who is either covered up or immediately turned into kind of a stiff saint, which feels narratively frustrating. Before we go. Mm-hmm. I know that you were really moved by the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World Dominion trailer that dropped. I actually I thought wanted, maybe we could just scoot by without talking about I it. I just kind of wanted, I, you, you wrote, Chris wrote me and he was just like, real tears, dog. Finally, the Jurassic saga is getting the ending it deserved because we all have always considered the movie about the theme park with dinosaurs that eat people to be worthy of not just one trilogy, but two. <laughs> so we could tell the full emotional arcs That's right. of the scientists and of the raptors who were misunderstood. So, the closure, you know, the, the no way homeness of this trailer, I know spoke to you. So I'm going to clear, I'm going to turn off my, I'm going to mute myself. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't see the second one, I don't think. Or if I did, I don't remember why Laura Dern and Sam Neill are needed to come back. But whatever happened there, they're now, it's the dinosaurs are in the snow, which depending on where we're at in the next couple of months might be enough to get me to go to the movie theater. <laughs> I I do wonder whether or not like mm -hmm. if if it's if it's just roaring 20 summer if like it, literally I'll be as cheap a date as dinosaurs in the snow but so I I think that like while I really don't care about you know Alan and 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 you know everybody coming right. back from the first movie it's still Samuel like it looks I'm, amazing yeah <laughs> Sam Neill does look golden. amazing uh but yeah you're right I mean like the th this this was one of the all-time like what a great idea for a movie, perfectly executed, delightful for decades, uh, appealing to everybody from age six to 60. And they've kind of like, you know, decided to make seven more movies out of the, it. The multiversing of everything is something that is really wild. And I didn't, I just wasn't really checking for it to the degree to which was happening because like many things, it infiltrated from the ground up, like in, especially in kids' movies. Like, 
my kids have gotten really obsessed with the Lego movies, which are really, really good. Mm -hmm. I, they're just, especially the first one. It's just, it's just great. And it really, it it's, it's celebration of corporate IP is very funny. Right. Um, so which kind of gets it a pass. It's, it's cleverly done. Kind of, yeah. But it was still wild for me when they then wanted to graduate to the Lego Batman movie. And one of the villains is Sauron. <laughs> Like that's real. I did. I, like I did not make that. Dude, up. that's like. Have you seen? Do you? You didn't see Free Guy, did you? No, but that's you know what that it is. That's what like Free Guy is. Yeah, it's got like yeah, a Ready Player One kind of thing going. Voldemort and Sauron team up with the Joker. You know, it's just like I, it's it's incredible. That that sounds like the game my children played, except yeah. they didn't know what Sauron was, and they were like, "Oh, the eye is scary." I'm like, well, Amazon Prime has got the show for you, children. <laughs> we can wrap it up there. Uh, I don't really have any more Jurassic Park Dominion takes. It was just more like, that's an incredibly long trailer that seems to be really trying to play on the emotional connection people have to Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's characters, which I just don't know anybody who does. But maybe I could be wrong. I mean, the chance to saddle up and watch Chris One Pratt. One more time. I, I want to say fight dinosaurs? Lasso uh, them? I don't know train what he does. Them. Yeah, yeah. Depends. Oh, that's cool. Help uh, train them. That would yeah. be my role as well. I'm just here to help. <laughs> Andy, it was great to see you today. You were great. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love the instant feedback. Thank shout you. out to uh, Bob Chapek for producing us today. Uh, yeah. Another good one. Uh, Kaya also on the assist. In <laughs> Kaya produces Bob Chapek here to help. That's Just right. here to help. Uh, we'll see you guys on Monday. Uh, a couple cool shows coming. I thought we might mention that we'll be digging into Severance when it drops on February 18th on Apple. What else is there? We're going to be doing some Gemstone stuff coming up. So if you haven't yep. caught up on that season, we'll probably talk about it. And we hope to have some cool guests from the show. Yeah, a lot of stuff coming up. So it's, it's always nice to chat about whatever with you, though. Yeah, I mean, but but maybe TV and pop culture, like, Primarily. Generally speaking, yeah, and serial. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.